Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey, my friends, and welcome to the show. I am so excited today because I'm talking to an amazing person about one of my favorite topics, sleep. So I have the pleasure of talking with Devin Burke. He is an international TEDx speaker. If you have not checked out his TEDx talk, you need to. It is so awesome. I'm going to put the link in the notes. And he's the best-selling author of The Sleep Advantage and the founder of the Sleep Science Academy and one of the top health and sleep experts in the world. And he's with us. We're so lucky. All right. He has studied innovative holistic coaching methods from some of the world's top health and human performance experts for over a decade. Maybe he'll drop some names. I don't know. But I invited him because, one, um, I promise I'm not going to turn this into a private coaching session, David. <laughs> if, if you want to, that's okay. We, we, we have done that. And sometimes- A private, public coaching. You it, really have it, to- it's, it's public, but it's kind of like personal, private. Uh, <laughs> because to be honest, I, and I tell people this all the time. It's so it's like you're unique. Your sleep challenges are not. Exactly. So um, you know. So usually the 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 coaching is universal, right. which is a good good thing. Yes, and that is what I tell my group members too. It's you're not alone. Whatever you're suffering with, you are not alone. Okay. So speaking of the people I help, so we both help high achievers who are usually exhausted, but he has superpowers in terms of helping them get to sleep and stay asleep. That's the part I'm really interested in, the whole stay asleep thing. But anyways, we're going to talk about all that and um, the whole point of this is not only so they can live healthier and longer, but so they can wake up every day with more peace, power, and presence. I love those three Ps that you are helping people find. All right, so let's get started. Oh, by the way, just before we get started, he was also named one of the top 25 health coaches in America. That's all. All right, so Mr. Burke, Kevin, thank you for being here. Yeah, excited to be here. Talk sleep. Hope We won't put people to sleep. Uh, not while they're not. listening to this, but after, ho- hopefully, hopefully after. All right. So you admit, I'm very jealous of this, but you admit in your TEDx talk that you did not have problems with sleep. So what got you so fascinated about sleep that you were willing to put all of this energy into it? Yeah. So sorry to disappoint. I, I'm actually a, an amazing sleeper. Like my family literally used to joke around and call me narco, like narcoleptic. And funny enough, I was in LA um, on a, I was just on the Dr. Drew show and the makeup artist was like, Hey, I think you might be narcoleptic. She's, she had narcolepsy. And I was like, Oh, maybe I am. I don't know. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I, what got me interested in, in really helping people with their sleep is, is not my own pain, but someone else's. I was working with a client that had some serious sleep issues and it was getting in the way of a lot of things in his life. And I didn't, study sleep. I didn't know about sleep. I took it for granted. And then I said, well, let me look into this. And I looked into it and I was like, whoa, not only is sleep the foundation of health, there's not a lot of good options for people that don't sleep well. And so that got me interested in it. And then the more I dove into the science around how important it is for our longevity, for our health, how it literally impacts every aspect of our lives, the more I you know, wanted to learn about it. And then I just saw an amazing opportunity to support people in a, in a new way. Uh, taking a holistic approach to 
to really help them get to sleep. So long story short, I started to study the science of sleep. And then I sort of started to tweak all the things that I had learned up until that point, which was, um, you know, my background's kind of diverse. I've studied a lot of different things, but I tailored and tweaked sort of what I thought would be useful for people to have this specific challenge. And it worked. And so I said, well, if I can help one person with this problem, then I can help thousands or maybe millions of people. And so we're not at millions yet, but we're, we are helping thousands of people um, really restore their natural ability to sleep. Oh, wow. That is so amazing. That is such a superpower. So I, you said something earlier. I just want to, I know we're going to talk about what does work, but you said you started studying it and you found there were not very good options. What are some of the bad options and why pick a couple and why are they so bad? Yeah, well, the first and foremost, the most common option that people go to resort to is unfortunately it's sleeping medication. And it's not really the doctor's fault because they're trained. That's what they're trained to do is prescribe. But unfortunately these medications, they're band-aids and thank God we have them. I'm not anti-medication by any means. I think there's a time and a place for them, but the ones that they prescribe are really detrimental. And oftentimes they're addictive. They have really strong side effects and they're meant to be used temporarily. And then what happens is people become addicted to them or they become psychologically addicted, meaning they, they feel like they need to take them in order to sleep. And then they eventually stop working and then they go to the next pill or then they turn to pill with alcohol or with marijuana. Um, they start stacking things and kind of coming up with these cocktails on their own, sometimes actually with their doctors, believe it or not. And that's not healthy, it's not sustainable, and it doesn't address the root cause. So that's really the first line defense when really the, it should be, you know, the other option that was available that I discovered was cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for insomnia. And that really should be the gold standard, the first thing that people get prescribed. But there's also, the, I think not a lot of doctors are aware that it exists. Um, yeah, I guess it's easier just to write a script for a pill. And there's actually a, not, not a lot of practitioners that really understand how to, you know, effectively use CBTI, um, which again is cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for insomnia. And I found that actually, so I, I did start to study cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, and I found some holes in that specific uh, approach that I was able to fill um, using technology and, and just some other innovative strategies. But those are really the two things that are available for people that have issues with their sleep or maybe going to a sleep study, um, to a sleep lab. And sleep labs are really meant just for sleep apnea, not if you have you know insomnia, which is there's a lot of different types of insomnia, onset and maintenance insomnia. We could talk about the different types and all that. But um, so yeah, so that's what I that's what I discovered that was out there. Okay, so <clears throat> the brain is only motivated by two things, pleasure and pain. Pain is the bigger motivator. So I'm gonna ask you, because a lot of people now are thinking, okay, maybe I'll think about stopping my sleep medication, depending on what this guy says next, but you said side effects. What, yeah. <clears throat> besides addiction, what are the side effects that harm people's ability to be powerful, present, and peaceful? Dementia, Alzheimer's, um, I mean, it's, it's there literally, if you just read the inserts of some of these sedatives, you, your mind will be like, wow, people actually take these, um, you know, the most common ones, Ambien, 
it's you, actually what's interestingly and what's I always find it kind of funny, but insomnia is a side effect of taking Ambien. Say more about that. So so and so people take people are prescribed Ambien. It's the most common sleep drug that people are prescribed. A side effect of actual taking that drug, the reason why they're taking it, a side effect listed on the inserts is why they're actually taking it, which is insomnia. So again, I'm not against medication. I think there, there's a time and a place for, you know, sedatives. I think, thank God we have medication, but these, if you read the inserts of some of the drugs that people take, the benzo, the benzos, they're like the worst. Um, and you see the long-term use of these drugs, it's horrifying. I mean, it's, it's, and people feel really bad when they take them. So like, there's a difference between sedation and sleep. So sedation, I, I like to give the analogy, if someone came up and knocked you over the head with a frying pan, you pass out, you're on the floor, somebody walks by, they look, oh, he's sleeping. You're not sleeping. That's, that's knocked out. You're, you know, you're in a form of sedation. Um, real sleep, there's a lot of, it looks different. It's, it's, it's different. So people use these drugs to sedate themselves and then their bodies aren't actually able to get into these deeper stages of sleep. They're not able to get into the Delta, the, you know, the deep REM sleep where, where all the magic happens. And so there's, there's the twofold, there's the side effects of actually taking them the long-term ramifications. And then there's the side, you know, and then there's, because they're not allowing you to get into these deeper stages of sleep. And there's also the impact of that as well. So and most of them are only supposed to be taken temporarily, like, you know, like 30 days, not 30 years. Uh, and we have people that come through our, our programs that have been on some of these drugs for 30 years, uh, which is always like blows my mind how they're even still getting prescribed uh, to, to them. So let's talk a little bit about why we need, because <clears throat> some people might be going, hey, hit me over the frying over the head with the frying pan. I'm fine with that as long as I'm out. So let's talk about what happens. What's the, so you're not getting enough deep, deep sleep, not getting enough Delta sleep, not getting enough REM sleep. And <clears throat> I think we wear the same little ring. I'm not sure. Yes. The aura ring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I won't go into it, but there was a time in my life after my daughter was born where I couldn't even get into REM for four months. I was on the surface and I had to quit my job. <clears throat> my brain didn't work. I was yeah. basically incapacitated. So now, I mean, I just celebrate every day when my, when I get optimal deep sleep, but I don't really know what is happening in that. I mean, I know a little bit of what, about what's happening in deep sleep, but why is it so freaking important that we have this natural sleep and not this knockout sleep? What's, what's happening? Yeah. So in, in Delta sleep, so a little bit of sleep science. So every 90 minutes we go through a, a sleep cycle and it's kind of like our, our brains and bodies are doing a dance. So we go through, there's, there's REM sleep and non-REM, two different types of sleep. And within uh, non-REM, there's a couple different stages, stages one through four. And so stages one and two are really considered light sleep, three and four are considered deep sleep or delta sleep. And then we, we jump into REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. So this happens every 90 minutes, we're going in and out of these different stages. So Delta sleep or deep sleep, that's really, you can think of that as that's when your body repairs and recovers. That's when our immune systems are activated. We're cleaning out the cancerous cells. 
you know, the glymphatic system is, you know, beta amyloid is getting pushed out of our brains. It's, you can, the analogy I like to give is it's in that stage. It's kind of like the trash men come out and clean up all the trash in our body. So throughout the day we're you know, we're breathing air, we're eating foods, we're drinking water, all these things have toxins in them. And so when we're sleeping, those toxins need to be removed. Our immune systems need to be activated. Our hormones need to be rebalanced and certain hormones are released, you know, growth hormone, testosterone, all these things need to be recalibrated and, and actually released to repair our body and our cells. So you can think of the Delta deep sleep as like the body repair phase. And that happens mostly it's skewed. It happens mostly in the first quarter of the night. So if you look at your sleep at four quarters, the first quarter of the night, so between the hours of, let's say, you know, 10 PM to 12, you know, that's, that's usually when we're getting most of our deep sleep, then REM sleep. That's when our minds are really are, are repair. It's when short-term memory gets shuttled to long-term storage. That's when our emotional traumas from the day are being worked out. That's when we're dreaming. That's when our, our bodies are actually, we're, we actually are paralyzed. And in some cases, our brains are more active during this stage of sleep than when we're awake. So there's a lot going on mentally, cognitively. And that happens mostly right before we wake up. That's why when you wake up, normally you remember, well, sometimes you might remember your dreams. So that kind of happens in like the fourth quarter of, of the night. It's kind of skewed more towards the, the morning hours. And so anyway, so that's a little bit about each of these stages. They're both important. Light sleep's important. Any sleep's important because you got to go through light sleep to get to deep sleep, right? So they're all important. And, you know, our bodies might seem like they're sleeping, but they're actually wide awake. Our brains might seem like they're sleeping, but they're actually, you know, doing a lot of things. There's a lot that happens during the night. Oh my gosh. You just blew my brain because some things you said. So, so people who don't get deep sleep are waking up full of trash. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, you could totally say that. And they're and waking up of, totally toxed, <clears throat> toxed, like inflamed. So this is another way of saying like your body gets inflamed. So inflammation is really, you know, the stress is the root of all disease, but inf stress, inflammation is a form of stress. So if your body, yes, you're waking up with your body full of trash. That's a great way of, of framing it. Yeah. And then the ways we have to get through the day. I mean, everybody can relate to this. I'm sure when you wake up and you feel like trash and you just feel like you have to slog through your day because you're carrying all this stuff. And then you add to it what you said about clearing out emotional trauma from the day before. So a lot of people that emotional trauma and the stress caused by it when they wake up at 3 a.m., which I'm going to ask you about, is that normal? Like when, yeah. when they wake up at 3 a.m., the emotional trauma from the day before hasn't been cleared out yet because they haven't gone into REM yet. So now they're living it awake and they can't get into the sleep state REM that they need to get into to actually yeah. clear it out of their brain. Is that right? Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, you could think of it like that. I mean, sleep and, and, and stress, which trauma is a form of stress, right? Mental, emotional stress are bi-directionally linked. So if you're not getting sleep, good sleep, your body's going to be in a more stressed state. And also, you know, emotionally, you're going to be in a more stressed state because you, you didn't have the opportunity to sort of sift through all of those 
you know, things that consciously you didn't deal with throughout the day. So yeah, yeah, I would say that that's, that's a appropriate way of, of framing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most people can relate to this. I'm sure there are some people who are amazing. In fact, I know one who can sleep on four hours and even she admits it's not enough, but she went to a sleep study. And like you said, it wasn't the right thing. It's who can, she didn't have apnea and who can sleep in a sleep study when there are all these people staring at you, you're in a foreign bed, you're got nodes on your head. I mean, so yeah. that's not, that's not the answer, but most people cannot be high performers because they cannot access their most intelligent brain and they are slow. I'm assuming on their response and their thinking time and their emotional ability, their emotional intelligence must just drop to the floor and their trigger point is going to get much, uh, much more active. So it's going to be much more easy to take things emotionally. So I'm just picturing like my clients who go into an executive meeting exhausted. Okay. And oh, by the way, some of those executives are exhausted. So they're not at their best. And so they might say something snarky. And then the person on the other side, if they are not, if they have not had a good night's sleep and they don't have uh, genuine confidence and self-awareness and empathy, they're going to get triggered. And this is going to be this horrible cycle. And we see this happening. You're nodding. So we see this happening all the time in meetings and presentations, where it's this vicious cycle where somebody goes, oh my God, I did such a terrible job. He asked me that question. He was mad at me and he was, no, he was just tired. And he was tired and he yelled at his kid this morning and his kid yelled back at him because he was tired and you were tired. So you took it personally and you didn't answer it well. And it's this vicious cycle. And now they go back and they add 10 hours to their week because they've got that's never going to happen again. I'm going to prepare all weekend for that meeting. So that never happens. And it's this downward spiral. There's studies that show exactly what you just said. What you just described is there's actual real studies, sleep studies that show that that's the case. You're not able to interpret emotion when you're sleep deprived as well. You, you, it's, it's, you know, your ability to emotionally regulate is it drops as well. So, so yeah, you come off, you, 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 maybe somebody looks at you a certain way and you misinterpret that look because you're tired. It's sort of like, I like to give the analogy. It's when you're sleep deprived, it's like wearing glasses that distort the world. And so everything that you see is a little bit more distorted and it's more distorted towards, um, threat dystopia <laughs> dystopia exactly like life seems heavier like little things seem like big things and little things can then turn into big things because you react like they should be big things when they're really not it's just you're just so you're just so tired and your perception is is uh, uh distorted and they, they've done studies in 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 relationship studies with, with sleep deprivation it's really interesting both couples even the one that wasn't sleep deprived rates the, the, they rate each other as both not showing up as well as they could. So even the one that wasn't sleep deprived, so in, even in relationships where one person is getting sleep and the other person is not getting sleep, there's still going to be distortion. They're both going to be rated as not showing up as how amazing they could show up in the relationship, which is interesting. Um, we lift so, each other up and we squish each other down. Based yeah. On frequency and our, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, 
it's amazing. It really does impact every area of our life. It re- and that's really what got me so interested in it when I realized, wow, there's this really does impact every aspect, your cognitive ability, your ability to be present, the way that you see the world, your mental clarity, which is so important for decision-making. You know, Jeff Bezos, they asked him what the secret was to success. He said sleep, which I loved because he makes decisions and his decisions are, are, are billion dollar decisions. And so decision-making also gets affected. So if you're not well slept or if you're sleep deprived, you're not going to make the quality of decision that you could make. And the quality of your decision, I believe, uh, you know, dictates the quality of your life and your destiny. Every little decision you make adds up to, you know, creates something. And even the small ones, right? Like, do I have the can of soda or do I have the water, right? You make that decision for the can of soda consistently enough, you're going to start to you maybe get diabetes or prediabetes or, you know, so all these little things. So if you can have a body and a brain that is harm in harmony because you're getting great sleep, you make better decisions and then those decisions lead to better outcomes in every aspect, relationship, job performance, um, creativity, just in your health, you have the energy to actually get to the gym and, and work out the way that you, you, you want your body to be able to work out versus, you know, fighting yourself all the way there. Cause you're so tired and you're like, ah, but you're shitting on yourself all the way there. Right. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, it sleeps an anchor. It's an anchor for our entire life. And when it's off, our entire life can be off. We're more chaotic. It seems more, life seems more chaotic. Um, right. and, and it, and it's, it, it gets, people get stuck in these, in these cycles, these patterns of, of, uh, it's really paradoxical as well, which is another thing I love to talk about. And I think it's so fascinating. There's so much paradox in sleep and actually solving for people that have sleep challenges. Okay, so let, we're going to talk about what works, but one of the reasons why I wanted to spend so much time talking about what we've been talking about is that people need a reason. They need a reason to change because there is so much advice out there. Now we're going to get some really great advice from you because you've done more research, but this isn't, it's, it, it's not that mysterious. I mean, there are some things that are mysterious, but there are some things that we know work. And we know that alleviating stress, and you and I can talk about that in a little bit, alleviating stress is going to be one of the biggest things you can do. And so that's indirectly going to help your sleep. You're not going to take a pill to alleviate the stress, but you're going to alleviate the stress. And then what are some other things? So, you know, we know different things that cause sleep problems. Like I've experienced many of them. One is pain. If, If it's hard to get comfortable, right, you have to treat the pain in order to get comfortable so that you can sleep. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this one, Devin, but I've literally at least three times in my life had my pineal gland stop working. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go into anything but light sleep. That's not fun. Um, And I can't even remember, it was triggered in different ways by different times, but so there are things that are functional that you need to fix sometimes. But what we're talking about mostly here is the stuff that's mental, emotional, and habitual. The things that we do to ourselves that cause the problem, like probably staying up too late watching Netflix and uh, 
looking at a blue light too long. But so where do you want to go? Do you want to go with the habits that cause this? Or do you want to go with uh, the cures, the, the best cures you, you know of? Yeah, I mean, we could, we, could, we could talk about both, you know, how to address it and also what kind of leads people to not be able to sleep the way that they should. I mean, and it, and it is mental and, and it's mental, emotional, and it's physical. So there are physical reasons why people can't sleep. And there are also mental reasons. Most people greatly underestimate the impact of the mental side on their sleep because it's easier to address something physical that you can see in the world. You can't really see your thoughts and your beliefs. They're not floating around, but you can see your mattress, right? You can see, you know, the, the temperature in your bedroom, you know, these are things that you can see. So, yeah, so it's there, there's the part, the part of it, part of the challenge is there's, there's different groups of people. There's for different, there's different challenges for different groups of people, right? So there's people that don't prioritize and protect sleep because they don't see it as important. That's one bucket. Then there's people that know it's important, but they, for whatever reason, they have bad sleep, what we call sleep hygiene. So they're not prioritizing, protecting it. They're not doing things that would lead them to better sleep. And then there's, there's people that just are, they truly have insomnia and they are either onset or maintenance chronic insomniacs, and they are just struggling and trying to figure it out. So depending on which sort of bucket we're, we're talking about or you want to talk about, there's different avenues around how to support those different people. So you tell me which, which, which bucket do we want to talk, talk to today? I want to talk about the people who are in the middle that they don't, they, they don't think it's important enough. They think they can handle it. And they, or they know it's important, but the, their minds are keeping them up and they can't, they're trying to have sleep hygiene, but their minds are keeping them up because of stress in the middle of the night and they can't go back to sleep. That's what I see the most often. And then I see just some high performers. It hasn't caught up to them yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So unfortunately those, those people that it hasn't caught up to yet are, are a tough one to, to get to. It's because, like you said in the beginning of this conversation, people are motivated by pain. And if it's not painful enough, then they're not going to pay attention. Uh, eventually, it probably will get painful enough that they start to pay attention. Hopefully, they get smarter and realize that not to wait to that point. But yeah, the number one question I usually get asked is, well, how do you shut your mind down? I, I, I have a, you know, I'm thinking about all these things at the end of the night, in my bed, all the things I, I need to do, I should have done, I could have done, I want to do. And not, it's not always, you know, bad stress. It's sometimes it's product projects like, Hey, I'm excited about this thing that we're working on. And I got this upcoming presentation that's exciting. And so I think we should, we should talk about that because first and foremost, our brains, as I mentioned before, are sometimes more active when we're asleep than when we're awake and we take our days into our nights. And this is why people have challenge shutting down their brains. You can't shut your brain off. It just doesn't happen. And you wouldn't want it to happen because that means you're, you're not, you're no longer on the, you know, you're no longer alive if your brain is off. So slowing your mind down and that starts as soon as you wake up, like everything you do throughout your entire day is going to dictate whether or not you're going to be able to sleep at night. So if you're going from meeting the meeting back to back without transitioning, if you're not, you know, taking breaks, you're not connecting back to the parasympathetic, if you're not honoring rest and rhythm in your day, 
of course you're going to have a racing mind at night. Like it's, it's not like, it, you know, it, you can't, ex don't expect anything else. But if you, if you start to honor rest and rhythm, if you start to have transitions in your day, if you start to create some space where you can drop back out of that sympathetic into the parasympathetic and you start to train that sort of downshift and upshift, then at the end of the day, it's not so hard and you can create a bed buffer. You know, you, you, there's, there's a simple strategy I call three, two, one sleep. Three hours before bed, you stop eating. Two hours before bed, you stop working. One hour before bed, you start your bedtime routine, something that doesn't involve technology. Maybe it's playing music or listening to music or making love to your partner or stretching or anything boring, reading, um, something that's not stimulating. Um, I like to read like spiritual books at night just because they, they're calming to me. So, so it's important to understand that what you do are, you can't separate your day from your night or your night from your day. And we often just don't realize that we're doing that. And then somehow we get confused about why we're not sleeping or waking up in the middle of the night with a racing mind. It's like, well, what were you doing during the day or not doing during the day that led to that? Right. Cause and sleep it's, it's, it's a result. It's not the problem. It's a symptom that something is out of balance in your life. I think you've just freaked out a lot of people and we're going to freak them out more because we're going to do the math now on when this all needs to start because I want you, and I want you to repeat this. It's three hours. You stop because this was eating. so brilliant. Three hours. Eating. You stop eating two hours. You stop working and one hour before you start a boring, uh, but, but enjoyable, you know, boring, lovely routine. Um, I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah. Something that you, you know, and this, that's the heart, that one, that last hour in the three, two, one sleep sort of framework is the hardest for people because the Netflix shows are so good. And because, you know, we're all addicted to our devices and our brains are literally hacked by these social media sites. And it's, it really takes a lot of discipline to turn it off. And it's a huge problem. And it's not so much the blue light from these devices, although that does impact sleep. It's, it's really the hyper arousal that these shows create and, uh, you know, scrolling through Facebook and Instagram, or God forbid, you're still in your email an hour before bed. That's the worst. Um, you know, so it's, it's really, you have to have boundaries. Boundaries is a, is an important conversation to have when we talk about improving sleep. And a lot of people really struggle, especially now working from home with what's going on in the world. A lot of boundaries are just being totally crossed when we talk about work-life balance people are just not honoring that and they're paying a price for it. I want people to be more aware and connect the dots between where we were at the beginning of this conversation around uh, the impact this has on your body. And what you're doing is allowing Facebook or allowing Instagram or allowing email or allowing Netflix to weaken you and shorten your life and short and, and, harm your relationships, harm your health. This is the trade-off. And we know it's hard because these companies build these things to be addictive. I mean, they hire people who specialize in making these things addictive. And so we can't wait for them. We, we, we can't wait for them. You have to turn it off. I tell, like, I tell my people, make your phone into a, a, a paperweight. Like, 
turn off anything that could possibly notify you unless it's an emergency from somebody that you know you're you need to hear from um a child or somebody uh but everything else is a paperweight and then you can get addicted to something that's actually healthy for you you know you can get addicted to a salt bath oh you can i literally had a person get addicted to making love with her husband again like like they Maybe. hadn't they hadn't <laughs> they hadn't been having even like smiles at each other in yeah. months and once she dropped the stress and she dropped the resentment at work she wasn't resentful at him she was but it was affecting everything in their life so one of my favorite new addictions is I listen to uh I, I have this little bench and I sit on it and I pray and I meditate and I listen to Native American music while a candle's lit oh that's cool <laughs> it's so and like that's Pandora that so I have my Pandora on Native American that's how I use technology at night all right and it's and then I listen to a sleep thing as I as I go to bed I li listen to a sleep hypnosis track or you can just go onto the calm app and they have all these lovely voices saying nice things in your ears if that if that is something you need um so that's my boring routine and i'm freaking addicted to it nobody's going to take it away from me until i find something even better yeah self-care and self-comfort are so important it's really you know ha and having i think routines and rituals around that honor both of those are critical and also with the caveat of knowing really at the end of the day you don't need to do anything in order to sleep because the truth is there are millions of people around the world that do all of the wrong things and still sleep. Now, could they sleep better? Absolutely. And I, I do find that sometimes people get overly kind of rigid with their routines, um, which is like a trap, but it's kind of like a step. First start an, a routine and then like you can loosen up and let go of that routine and let that routine evolve over time and, and still realize that you don't need to do anything to sleep. Um, Cause that's, it's paradoxical, like sleep's the one thing, the harder you try it, the worse you get at. You can't mm -hmm. force or control sleep. So sometimes people do end up making some of these changes and then they believe, oh my God, if I don't have my salt bath, I'm not gonna sleep. It's not true, but it's gonna help you sleep. That's why you do it. And, and you do it because it's good for you, it feels good, and it's better than allowing Facebook and Instagram to hijack your brain and give you the dopamine and the serotonin that it, those things do. Um, it's just, you know, why wouldn't you make a decision to take control of your own life and make things more harmonious, make a, make your life easier for yourself versus harder. Um, it, it's challenging though. It, it is the, the technology piece is, is a big, is a big one. And I, I know for me personally, over the years, I've struggled with, with my relationship with technology. Like last year, I, I did a little experiment. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to sort of get off social media. Um, and I felt better. And so this year I'm like, okay, let me see if I can find the balance between like, you know, being on it and, and not being on it. It's really hard. It's hard because they have like the smartest people in the world that are like engineering these devices and these shows like the, the founder of Netflix said his competition is sleep. He's sleep. Wow. He said that I was like, Oh yeah, that's wow. terrible um but that they're so mad yeah i mean it makes me kind of mad too i'm like come on that's not and then you know the, with the new auto it goes right to the next show and our willpower is the lowest when at the end of the day because we you know it's like a muscle right so it's like at the end of the day your willpower is low 
And now it's like this show that you just watched that kind of like you were relaxed here or whatever. And then it just goes to the next one. It's like the worst. It's yeah. the worst. I'm so, I get so mad at it. I like jump for the remote. Like, like I want to do, do a dive no. for the remote so I can turn it off as fast as I can. I don't even yeah. want to see it because I know. So you mentioned dopamine and serotonin. I just want to say another um, evening practice that I love as I sit there and meditate. I mean, I'm not just counting my breaths. I don't, I don't, that doesn't work for me. I'd rather do something to create dopamine and serotonin when I'm, when I'm doing that. So I like to think about the, the day and think about things that I'm proud of myself for doing, even Beautiful. if they're tiny, because then I'm getting this feeling of, uh, it's a sort of a feeling of pride, but it's a feeling of satisfaction when so many people beat themselves up at, at night um, about what went wrong and what they could have done better and what they didn't get done. So, and then I, I, and then I like to practice gratitude for all the things that happened that were wonderful during the day, even tiny little things like the little conversation I had with the checkout person at Trader Joe's and we both learned we were from the same hometown or whatever it was just like those, I want to relive those little things and be grateful for those. And, um, and you can be grateful for, you know, the fact that you have a car. I mean, how we take stuff like that for granted, but, oh, I had a car that got me from there to there and it didn't break down. So things like that, that create a different energy around us. And then compassion. If you can just feel, and I do this every morning too, just think of something or someone that you love dearly. It can be dog you a puppy you had when you were five it can be your kid now or your kid when they were cuter when they were little just something that you can't help but like feel this this feeling of love and then with every out breath just radiate it out radiate it out and now you're getting so much serotonin and oxytocin in that moment and then you just like saturated in those emotions instead of cortisol. We can't go to sleep with cortisol running. I mean, you tell yeah. me if you're tell me if I'm wrong, but I, um, cause I've had that where I was late diagnosed with after my daughter with, um, post post-traumatic post part, postpartum anxiety mm -hmm. disorder. It wasn't yeah. postpartum depression post, post where your brain says, if you go to sleep, your kid's going to die. And yeah. so my brain wouldn't, wouldn't let me sleep. And I went undiagnosed for a, way too long. And, um, so anyways, I had cortisol running through my, uh, my system all the time and I couldn't sleep. So anyway, anyways, we have people right now who have cortisol running through their systems at night and maybe even from the show they just watched, I'm sure game of Thrones is going to get you a little amped up a little bit. Right. Exactly. It's, um, I love that you, you're sharing your practice. That's such a powerful, beautiful practice to connect to like gratitude and honoring yourself for all the things that you want to, the good that happened. It's, it's like such a simple practice that I think so many people, especially high performers, people that are perfectionists, people that are running companies and families forget to do. They're just super critical on themselves. Like when you're, you're, when you're meticulous and you're intelligent and you're, you know, you're a leader, I think it's so easy to always be scanning for what's not right and where you need to be better or feel like you need to be better and just like, you know, I've been guilty of that. And, you know, practicing self-compassion and gratitude, I think is just such a, such a powerful way of getting back into a peaceful place and just, you know, allowing that volume to get turned down on all the, the hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and all the things that sometimes 
come along with never feeling like you're good enough or doing enough or that enoughness sort of conversation. Um, yeah. And our, and to the cortisol point, for sure, like cortisol should be highest in the morning, which is why you really don't want to have your cup of coffee first thing in the morning. You want to wait at least an hour till it sort of drops. Your cortisol has a rhythm throughout the day. And sometimes, oftentimes people's cortisol levels, just they, they're dysregulated and they stay high all the way up to the end of bed, bedtime. And that's why people, you know, that's like your, your body's in fight or flight, not maybe full blown, but partially. Um, and so again, that's that conversation of like having these practices, honoring rest and rhythm throughout the day to then sort of have that rhythm be regular. And that could also mean like getting outside and getting some sunlight first thing in the morning, watching the sunset, those things helps reset the circadian clock. You know, that's the master, the super chasmatic nucleus, the master clock of the body. You know, when we're seeing the sun rise and we're seeing it set, that kind of helps our bodies stay in sync. Um, and yeah, it's like, I actually read a statistic. It was fascinating. It was, it was a couple of days ago. We spend 93% of our time indoors. Wow. 93%. I'm like, that is, that's scary. We were built for roaming the savannah. Yeah. Eight hours a day. Wow. Isn't that crazy? 93%. And for me, I, I actually have a goal for myself. I want to be outside at least five hours a day. Now I don't always hit that goal, but I try to be, and, and, and even like, I'm thinking that like only five hours, like is your car count <laughs> doesn't No. Yeah, so walks count, you know, sometimes I'll be working outside. Um, I, I live in Florida, so we, I have usually nice weather about eight months out of the year where I, I can do that. As long as the mosquitoes are not too bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, like something as simple as getting outside can be super helpful. Like anything that's going to connect you back to nature is a good thing. And is a good thing for your sleep and your parasympathetic nervous system. You reminded me, I had a woman who was so stressed out when I first met her. It was kind of like she was vibrating. And I told her after this call, I want you to take off your shoes, go outside and step on your grass. She texted me back a picture of her feet on her on the grass, and she says, "I cried, like <laughs> because it felt so good, and it was the first time she felt grounded and safe in so long that her body just released all this fluid through her eyes, and so it is very powerful. Um, sometimes when I'm filling my gas up, I will go and stand in a sunbeam and look up, but close my eyes and let the sun hit my eye, you know, my eyelids yeah. and soak in, and ah, oh, it's like." so much better than checking Facebook or something while you're on your, while you're pumping gas or breathing in the gasoline or breathing there. in the fumes. <laughs> right. All right. So I know some people might've been looking for a magic bullet here, but you, as you said in your TEDx talk so well, that there isn't a magic bullet. You have to try and figure out what's right for you because there are so many variations of this, but is there anything you want to say to those people who are like, okay, what's the best tip? What's the, what's the one thing besides what you just said, which was brilliant about the three, two, one that everybody's going to hate you for, but, um, it's very wise. Yeah. I think, well, one of, one of the tips I would say leave people with is you can't manage what you don't measure. So having a device like an aura ring is fantastic. As long as you don't become obsessive over it and you know what to do with the data. Um, just like you measure your bank account, you measure, hopefully you measure your blood once a year or more than that. Um, you know, it's like you, when you have something tangible that's giving you feedback, you can actually see how turning off the Netflix show or practicing the three, two, one sleep, how that actually impacts your sleep from like a data standpoint. 
And that can really motivate you to continue to have these habits. It also can be a great, you know, it doesn't have to be an aura ring. There's, there's other devices out there. Um, I just feel like aura ring probably is the best one at this point in time, but having, having something that gives you that kind of feedback loop as to, Hey, I did this. I was going to have two glasses of wine. I only had one and I had it earlier on in the day versus like right before I went to sleep and wow, I got more REM sleep. Cool. Right. And kind of gamifying your, your sleep without, again, becoming, there is like this whole thing, orthosomnia, where people are becoming obsessed with their perfect night of sleep. You don't want to be that person. Um, but, but yeah, like measuring it, I think is important. Number one, and then really understanding that, you know, the, the, the one thing we, we didn't talk about that I, in, in helping people all over the country that have really bad sleep issues, like really bad, the practice of acceptance, it's, it's really powerful. Um, and, and that can be just accepting whatever the night brings, whether it's a great night of sleep or not. I was actually shocked by how powerful embodied acceptance and the practice of that can, can be for sleep. Uh, and it also could be transformational for your, for your life as well. Um, but don't, don't, don't fall into the trap of, of the quick fix. Cause there really isn't, it's you really, you know, you have to look at how all areas of your life are impacting your, your sleep. Um, it's there, there isn't a quick fix and anyone that's telling you that there is, they're probably trying to sell you something <laughs> So, like, a, which, and there's, there's, I'm totally all for like supplements, sleep supplements and, you know, new mattresses and, I'm all for all those things. There's, there's some great things out there that can help us improve our sleep, but you know, really it's, it goes a little bit beyond those things. Yeah. I was, I have a chart on my wall of an emotional funnel and the frequencies of all the emotions. And I love that you mentioned acceptance because it is highly underrated. It's the simple, it is what it is. Now what, what's in my span of control. Now what some people think acceptance is wimpy. Like, Oh, am I just giving up? No, you are accepting that reality is happening. And now you can figure out what you can do. You can figure out who you need to get help from. You don't have to have all the answers. Like Devin's got a lot of answers and I'll put links um, that he recommends from his site and any other resources. We'll put a link to the Aura Rings. We, we don't, neither one of us makes any money off that company, but we both like I don't. <laughs> Yeah. But we will put resources in the links, but just for, just for reference, the power of acceptance, it's only two levels below love. So there's acceptance, which is such a high frequency. It is not a neutral emotion. And then the next one is reason. So now once you have the reality, you can, re you can reason with yourself. What's next? What do I need to do? Am I willing to fix this? And then the next, the next one is love. The, so it, acceptance is only a skip, hop, skip, and a jump away from the frequency of love. When you can accept yourself, you can love yourself. And you can even find the gift. What is the gift in this horrific sleep I'm having? Oh, the gift might be, I have a great relationship with my partner after this, or I show up confident and impressive and I get a promotion because of this, because I accepted this is happening and I decided to fix it. I love that you are sharing that. I didn't know about the emotional frequency thing. That's pretty cool. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing when you can really get to that place of acceptance, like accepting even the things that you don't want that you wish weren't happening and know that you're, you know, by allowing yourself, it doesn't mean resignation. I think a lot of people think acceptance means resignation. Like I'm not, 
I'm not going to do something. I'm just like tossing my hands up. That's not what acceptance is. Um, but it's interesting that that's such a high frequency sort of emotional state. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's powerful. It really is. I didn't come up with it. It's Dr. Hawkins and his book, letting go. And I can put a link to it also in the, in the show notes. So I'm so glad you came and talked with us. And this is going to be so helpful for so many people, including myself. And I do have the Lamborghinis of mattresses. I just want to say, so I, 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 Oh, what do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Let's, let's, I got to know. What I got? Yeah. Oh, you know what I got? I have got the sleep number extraordinaire. Oh, I've got wow. the foot heaters. I've got the two sides. So my partner can have a different number and I can have a different number and, we, right. can different, and, and we can have different head levels. So because of my lower back pain from car accident, I lift my feet up all the way and mm. it's just magical. Yeah, you can totally, uh, I, uh, you know, mattresses, that can be a whole another podcast. I'm actually a, a, a spokesperson for a mattress company now, but, um, there's some really cool mattresses out there and the best one is one that's going to be supportive and, and feel good for you. Um, but you could totally drop, I'll, I'll say this, the bedroom is the most important room in the home. The mattress is the most important piece of furniture because you spend a third of your life on it. So invest in it. Like I, I'm always surprised. Like I have some clients that are mega wealthy people that are very successful. And I ask them like, what kind of mattress they're sleeping on? And they're like, I don't know. Like, just like, like, you know, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? You don't know. You sp- you live in this giant mansion of a house. You, you know, your kitchen is like got all the latest and, and you don't know what kind of mattress you're sleeping on. Like that. I, I don't get that. I don't either. Um, and yeah. here's the truth though. You don't really need to, to spend a ton of money to get a great mattress. Um, there are some really good ones out there that are not that expensive. Although you could spend, I know there's a mattress company here in Boca Raton. They sell their mattresses from like 30,000 to $300,000. So you don't have to go crazy. Um, although, you know, if you got it, great, go for Mine it. Mine was way less than that, way less than that. And I tried yeah. so many during the pandemic. I had them mailed to me. I was just trying Oh, wow, to really? Yeah. And I, Tell- I sent them back. I sent them back. All right, so I, I'm really curious now. And I don't know if this is, you know, appropriate. We, we are coming up here on. on no, our, we on should our, probably. Let yeah. Go. So okay, well, this will be an offline conversation. I'm just curious the ones that you tried and sent back. I'm I'm kind of a mattress nerd at this point, which is uh, you know, it's yeah. it is what it is. Uh, it's it's the, what you said about it is important. It is true. It is the most important piece of furniture. All right, this has just so, been so fun and so pragmatic and practical and helpful for people. So thank you for helping me do this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is a really enjoyable conversation. I always know the ones that go fast are like great conversations. I know. What? This flew by. So <laughs> thanks for, for what you're doing and for the, uh, the, the presence and attention uh, with, with sharing this type of information. Yeah. And thank you for doing all this research and help because, well, it's just one of the most important things we can ever focus on. All right. Thank you, Devin. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.